We're going to be looking this morning at Matthew chapter 25, um, verses 31 through 46. And, um, of course, it's the one where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. I called my sermon on the right side. Um, it's one, as you, and I jokingly have said before, if you're standing before Jesus and he's separating the sheep from the goats, remember, if you're facing him, run to the left. Run to the left because the sheep are on his right side. So you have to run to the left. Just one of those, just if you think about it for a minute, uh, because Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats, the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. So when you're facing him, run to your left. Just so, just so you make sure you get on the right side. It's not going to work that way, but if you're 10 years old or you have the mind of a 10-year-old like I do, then it's, it's interesting to think about. We are going to look at God's Word this morning. I'm going to be right up front with you. I have, I have been in an internet. I, I'm, I am so tempted to just turn on my Facebook right now and even um, see if I've gotten another response. I have been in a, a back-and-forth discussion on this exact passage of Scripture uh, with someone since yesterday evening. Um, and it's one where when I see someone post a, a scripture verse on Facebook or on the internet, whatever it may be, or someone shares one, and it's taken completely out of context and misquoted, it just makes my blood boil a little bit. And so I'll respond and just say, you know, this is wrong. You know, this is not what Jesus said. This is not what the Bible says. And, and we're using a scripture verse. We're using the Bible to promote a political agenda, which is just, that's not what God's purpose for God's word is. And so I'll be right up front with you. It has, it did get me fired up because, and then of course, people jump on there and respond and say, and then someone else responds and then someone else responds. And I get up this morning and I look and there's all kinds of other people responding and it just goes like wildfire. But it's one where we have to really open up God's Word and I just think, <laughs> open up that passage of Scripture that was quoted and at least find what you're quoting because what you're quoting isn't even in the passage of Scripture. And it's just, um, so I encourage everybody, if you read something on the internet that says it comes from the Bible, open up your Bible and, and at least read it because it's not always from the Bible. And so here we are, it's Matthew 21, I'm uh, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. I am going to read from the Bible this morning um, and allow God's word to speak to us. And at the end of the day, I will, I will again, so I will say it in front of you. Whatever I say from the pulpit here, I, I trust and I pray for God to use his Holy Spirit to speak through me as I study God's word, as I prepare for a Sunday, and for him to use me and rightly divide the word of truth to speak to our lives. But if I fall... One, two, there we go. Don't you love it when a plan comes together? <laughs> this is one where we're operating on frequencies we should not be. <laughs> but if, I, if I'm sharing something from God's Word and... What I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking through me and, and doing, and it does not align up with what you're, you're thinking the Bible says or believe the Bible says, please come to me and talk to me. Uh, because at the end of the day, this, this book is God's word. And, and I am uh, trying to allow God to speak through me, to apply God's word then to our lives. 
And so again, if I falter, please correct me. And I encourage you, take your Bibles and read, read about what I am preaching and look those verses up, look those chapters up and study them and understand. And we can then walk away together and equip each other in God's truth and allow God to speak to us with that. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from, the, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and, or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do prepare our hearts to look at your word, and I do thank you for the Holy Spirit that speaks to each and every one of us. And so may your Holy Spirit speak to us this morning as we look to your word, to allow your word to come alive in our lives, and that we find ourselves following you in the way that we should. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are wrapping up this morning after three weeks of looking at Matthew 25 and looking at these three parables that Jesus gave to us in Matthew 25. And as I shared last week, uh, the thought that had come to me was about this three-legged stool where if you pull one of the legs out of the three-legged stool, the stool will fall. It, it cannot stand on its own with only two legs. And so as we look at these passages, uh, passages of Scripture, uh, with the three legs, uh, do understand that the one leg is the grace of God that touches our lives where we are alive for Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within us. We are looking forward to the day of Jesus' return and we find ourselves being counted with one of the wise virgins that we have in the first part. And in the second part, we talk of the second leg of the stool, talks about the ministry gifts that God has given to us to minister to one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another towards good works, and to speak to us and guide us as a church, as believers, and as church as a whole. And God gifts us in such a way to minister to one another. And then the third leg of the stool that we look at this morning is God given his provision into our lives or our lives 
touch the lives of other people around us. Uh, you could go to the story of when, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and he was asked, who is my neighbor? And he went on to talk about the Good Samaritan that was going down the road and helped the person in need. That story then applies to this third leg of the stool where we're talking about the sheep and the goats. When we're looking at generosity, it's an interesting aspect of generosity in our country. Um, believe it or not, somewhere, somewhere between 1 and 3% of income is given to charitable organizations, and that includes churches. So if you take America as a whole, somewhere between the percentage of 1 and 3% is given to charity in our country. Now, if you go inside the church, those percentages go up. If you go in certain different communities, the, the percentages go up. But at, from a giving perspective, it's only between 1 and 3%. Um, my hope and prayer is that you are way beyond that number of 1 and 3%. But this passage that we're looking at this morning is not about what we give to charity out of guilt or out of coercion. This passage is not about when you see some TV commercial on TV with all these pictures and you say, oh, they're in such a terrible strait and you feel guilty and so you send them a check. This passage is not about that, where you just, you know, feeling guilty about something so you're sending off a check to help something out. When looking at the United States as a country, um, on average, one will pay somewhere around 27% of their income in taxes. That's not a choice. If anything, you could say it's mandatory. And you can hire a tax lawyer if you want, or an attorney, or whatever it is, and you could try and get that number down lower, and some of us are giving less than 27%, more are giving more, some are giving more than 27%, but in the end, on average, we give about 27% of our money in taxes to the government but this parable is not about what we give to the government and what the government then does with the money that we give to them. And I'll come to that again later on. I'll talk about Green Spring Brethren in Christ Church. From a church perspective, we carry a budget to help uh, others in need, to take care of community-type efforts. And we're talking about doing one in December to reach out to our community in love and to serve others in love. And we also have a benevolence offering that we take up on the last Sunday of the month. Reminder, next Sunday is the last Sunday of the month. And we take up a benevolence offering to help other people in need. But if in any way that you feel coerced in giving something to the church so that way we can do those things, or you're, or you're doing so out of guilt, this, this passage isn't applying to you. Or if you're completely sitting on the sidelines of the church and not engaged in the church, and you say, well, I'm a member of Green Spring Brethren in Christ Church, and, and they do those good things, this doesn't apply either. This passage it becomes very personal. It becomes very personal. It's not about what my wife does with my money. It's not about what your husband does with your money. This passage is personal. This passage applies to our salvation. And when we go back to our three-leg stool and go back to the beginning of Matthew 25, we are talking about someone's eternal destiny that has three different aspects to it. We are talking about our, our, the Holy Spirit being in our lives as a believer in Jesus Christ, and from there taking our ministry gifts that he has given to us to serve other people in the body of Christ, and then there with the third leg of the stool, being able to reach out and love to other people that are around us. 
And those three legs of that stool are personal and applies to our salvation. Romans 10.9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and confess in your heart, confess with your heart, I'll get it right. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has risen him from the dead, you will be saved. That declaration out of our mouth that Jesus is Lord, our belief, is personal. Now this is all made in a corporate setting of a church. And this all has larger impact. Our salvation is personal, but as we see from Matthew 25, it does take an impact where our spiritual lives then impacts the lives of other people around us, and our spiritual lives also impact our neighbors and the people that we come in contact that are around us. And it, again, becomes a three-legged stool that we can sit upon and rest upon. We have the grace of Jesus Christ that changes us, the grace of Jesus Christ that allows us to serve within a church, within a body of believers, and the grace of Jesus Christ that spurs us on to love our neighbor as our as ourself, to serve others with what God has given us. So what does Jesus teach in this passage? And he gives us some things that we can rest upon, that I think that we can take home and we can be secure in and understand. And there's one thing, that there's a date that is coming that all of us can write into our calendars. I don't know what the date is, but there is a separation that is forthcoming in every one of our calendars. No matter who we are, no matter what, what our belief is, whether we believe in Jesus Christ in Savior, as Savior or we don't, there is a date that is coming in the future. You can mark it down, write it down. It's in black and white. This day is coming that has been set before us where there is a separation that is coming. Verse 31 starts out, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, there's the day when Jesus Christ comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He's going to sit on His throne in all of His heavenly glory and there will be a separation of the people, one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. All of the nations will be gathered before Him. No one has an excuse. No one is going to jump away from this. No one can say, Well, I grew up in the United States, so I don't have to go to this separation. Someone can say, well, I grew up in the darkest parts of Africa and I never he heard about Jesus Christ, so I'm going to skip this. Jesus Christ is very clear. All nations, the entire globe, all ethnicities in the entire world will come before him and have to face this separation where the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. We cannot avoid this date. And when we see Jesus, oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I, there's that song. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. Well, you know, it will be rejoicing for some, but it will not be rejoicing for all. Now, I know that hymn is written for believers and by believers. We will rejoice in the presence of God when we are counted as a sheep, but it won't be a full day of separation because this day of separation takes place right at the end and it's final and there's no changing it. Separation carries through the Bible. I don't know if you've thought about this, but the point of separation carries through the entire Bible that there is good, there is evil, there is heaven, there is hell. If you jump right to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. That's separation. You have the tree of knowledge of good 
and evil. And they were told, when you would eat of this tree, you will surely die. And the opposite of death is life. There is a separation that is coming, and it was set for us at the beginning of time in Genesis chapter 2. You know, if you jump to the, from the first pages of the Bible and jump to the last ones, Revelations 22, verses 14 and 15. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to, to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. There's one separation, one side of it. Wash your robes and go through the gates of the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There's a separation right from the beginning of Genesis right to the end of Revelation. We know that there is a separation where some people are going to heaven and some people are not going to heaven. That there is life for some and there is death for others. And this is, carries on throughout all of the scriptures. We're told to choose life. We're told, told to choose goodness. We're told to put off the sin that so easily entangles. And we're told to put on the righteousness of God. And this separation continues. One is life. One is death. One is inside the gates of the city and the other is on the outside. One is a place where the glory of God shines forth. And the other is a place of utter darkness and suffering. One's a place of comfort and peace, and the other one's a place of torment and turmoil. Jesus talks about this separation in the, in the parable of the wheat and the chaff, the wheat and the weeds, and he says at the end times, all, the, all of the chaff, all of, all of the weeds are going to be gathered up, and they're going to be burned, and then all the wheat is going to be taken into the barn. Again, separation from the good and the bad, from life and death. In our three parables in Matthew chapter 25, we have the wise and the foolish. Separation. Wise, foolish. We have in our parable from last week, well done, my good and faithful servant, or thrown to a place that is darkness, gnashing of teeth, separation. And in our parable we have again this morning, we have separation. We have those that are welcome into the kingdom of God who are welcome and says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom that's been prepared for you since the creation of the world. Or, when he says, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. A separation that awaits us. When Jesus reveals to us the parable of, not a parable, but the story of the rich man and Lazarus, we're never given the name of the rich man. Because we're told there was a rich man and there was Lazarus. And they both died on the same day. And Lazarus goes and he's in the presence of God, being comforted in the bosom of Abraham, being comforted by Abraham in, in the presence of God. And then we have the rich man. He's not given us a name. And there's a certain aspect of that story that the, the, the beggar, Lazarus, who longed to have the crumbs that would fall from the rich man's table, would long to have something to eat, who had nothing in this earth, was given dignity in the kingdom of God and we know his name Lazarus but the rich man who in this world we would look at and say he has everything all dignity is removed from him in eternity and he's on the wrong side of eternity he is so poor from an eternal perspective. Think about the rich man who has everything that he wants, all of the opulence that he wants, people coming to him and going, dressed in their finest robes, and he gets to heaven, and he doesn't even have enough to buy one drop of water.
And he begs, begs Abraham to send Lazarus across the chasm with a single drop of water to quench his thirst. Do you see the contrast? In this world, one had everything. One had everything. And in eternity, he has nothing. And one that we would look at that had nothing. And in eternity, he has everything in the presence of God. There is this separation that is forthcoming, that is before us, that we cannot avoid, we cannot skip, and it is there. But this separation isn't just willy-nilly, it's not just whatever God would choose to do. It's a, it's a separation that is fixed on a standard. There's a standard that is before us that God has fixed that we need to pay attention to and follow. I don't know if you remember the story when Samuel was going to anoint uh, Jesse's sons, king of Israel. During our men's breakfast yesterday, that was one of our trivia questions. Who anointed King David? And, you know, I jumped off my seat. Actually, I said at my table, oh, that was in my sermon last week. And then I was like, oh, no, that's in my sermon tomorrow. That's in my sermon. But Samuel was going to anoint Jesse's sons, and they all lined up. They put on their Sabbath best put on their robes, slicked back their hair, maybe got out some olive oil and shined up the sandals. And I can see them jockeying for position and Samuel comes in, hey, let me see your oldest son. And they all walk by him and walk by him and walk by him. And Samuel's listening to God and saying, no, it's not him. No, it's not him. No, it's not him. He gets through six of them. I believe it's six of them. Hey, do you have any other sons? Oh, well, we got this other guy. He's out in the field taking care of the sheep. Well, go get him. And he comes in, probably already, didn't have a chance to take a shower, whatever it may be. And God says, that's the man, King David. Go and anoint David. And we're told it's because God wasn't looking at the outward appearance. God was looking at the heart. And there's a standard that's fixed for us where God is looking at each and every one of our hearts. I heard Tony Evans tell a story this past week where he was talking about our kingdom. And each of us have a kingdom. If you believe it or not, each of us do have a kingdom. When I go home to my house, it's, it's Ralph's kingdom. My rules. My rules. And when you come to my kingdom, you have to follow my rules. I remember, I'm going back 30 years ago, there was a person that I knew, wonderful, wonderful family. But when you would go to their house, it did not matter who you are, you took off your shoes when you went in. It didn't matter who you were, you took off your shoes at the door before you'd go into, into his house. It was his kingdom, his rules. And when, I, when you come to my kingdom, you're going to follow my rules. And when I go to your kingdom, you're going to follow my rules. But when we go into God's kingdom, and if that's where we claim to be, we have to follow the kingdom rules that are set before us. And one of those things from an eternal perspective that God gives us is to feed and to clothe and to care and to love and to reach out to others, those that would be considered least fortunate than ourselves. Whether you take from verse 35 through 42 or you take it from the end of the passage, where Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat, the kingdom rules. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison. And you came to visit me. They're kingdom rules. 
their kingdom rules, and they're a standard that is fixed for us as believers of God. And if we claim that we are in the kingdom of God, we need to look to the kingdom rules and understand, am I following the kingdom rules? And where is my heart in this situation? And can God look at my heart and say, I'm ready to follow the kingdom rules? Your heart, your motives, your response and actions carrying this forward matter for eternity because of the standard God has fixed for us. Please stop and look at this passage. If you look at this passage, who do we find? We find Jesus Christ in this passage. We find people in this passage referred to as sheep and goats. We find people. We find that the, that the nations, the world, was brought before him. But we know that no one is going to escape this. And we know that this standard that is fixed for us is a standard fixed for me and you. It's a standard fixed for each of us, each of us individually. Can we come together and, and carry out this collectively? Yes, if our hearts are in the right place and we come together and we do some kind of outreach and love on others, when we take up a benevolence offering at our church and I come in on that last Sunday of the month and I say, oh God, you have stirred my heart. I want to put something in there. And I know from the day that we started that, the day that we started that, my prayer was always what God has placed on your heart. And if God has placed nothing on your heart, then put that empty envelope into the offering plate. That empty envelope. And if God has placed something on your heart, then be faithful and put it in that envelope. And so we can come together and collectively and carry this out as long as my heart is there in the right place. Do you know the story of Robin Hood? I think all of us pretty much know the story of Robin Hood. It has a theme to it. He was known for stealing from the... Stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. Okay, right? We basically know the story of Robin Hood. He was a kind type of man. He was stealing from those filthy rich people that were stealing from the poor people. And not getting into all of the details of the story. But if you're standing before God, if you're standing before God and God says, Well, Ralph, did you... Did you feed, feed the people that were hungry and clothe the people that needed clothing and visit the sick? And I say, well, Robin Hood stole money from me and he was using it to do it. So I guess I did. And I think God would laugh the same way that you just laughed. Because I think it, at, at no point when Robin Hood stole from the rich, at no point did they say, Oh, God bless you, Robin Hood. Thank you for stealing from me. I know you're going to use this for altruistic efforts and benevolence to others. So I'm so glad you stole from me, Robin Hood. I wasn't in the position to feed somebody, but I know since you stole from me and you're going to take that and use it for good, how wonderful that is. See, my heart would have been cold as stone. I would have been really angry when Robin Hood stole that money from me. And so it comes back to an issue of our heart. It really comes back to an issue of our heart. Because this isn't talking about what Robin Hood would have stole from me. This passage of scripture is talking about what Ralph would do in his heart. And if God moves me to put money in a benevolence offering, then I'm obedient to, the, to my heart. And I'm trusting a church then to use that for the good of others. 
who may not come to me and say, I need help paying my electric bill. And the church steps up with money that I have given to them and gives it to them. Yet at the same time, someone may come and knock on my door and say, Ralph, could you help me pay my electric bill? And if I sit there and say, well, I gave money to the church, send them down there. Let them take care of it. Where's God saying, Ralph, I had them knock on your door, not on the door of the church. See? Big difference. Big difference. I know all of us are in a different position. Think about the story this way. Someone, someone that's related to you, that you love very much, goes and gives $20 to a stranger on the street, and you say, why did you do that? We could have gone out to dinner for that. When you go before God and God says, well, did you clothe someone, feed someone, visit the sick? And you say, well, my wife gave 20 bucks to that homeless man. And God says, in your heart was cold as stone. Do you remember what you said to her? You were upset. You didn't understand why. Do you see the difference? Where it comes back to being very personal within the kingdom of God. And this hurts. But God has set a standard for us that is fixed, that I can't avoid. And it's because it comes back to a heart issue. Now, is God asking you to give $20 to a stranger? No, not at all. But he may be asking you to stop and give somebody a ride. I think I have in my notes here. I had two testimonies this past week of people doing this same thing. Being generous with their time, with their energies, with their efforts, with their money. Yet in their generosity with those two testimonies, I can tell you that even this morning that has changed to four. Because I heard two other testimonies of God using people to touch other people's lives. And that should stir us all and spur us all towards good works. Because we all live in a community with other pe people. And we all have resources at our means. Not one of us, not, uh, not any of us can stand with excuse and say, I have nothing to give to somebody else. Because we're still breathing. And as long as we're still breathing, I still have a smile to give. I still have a word of encouragement to give. And I may have a million dollars to give. And if we're sitting and waiting for us to have a million dollars before we start giving, then our, our heart is cold as stone, and we're never going to get to the million dollars, because when we get to the million dollars, we're going to say, well, God, when I have ten million dollars, then I'll start being generous. And certainly Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and others could be generous, because they have it all, and I need to hold on to mine. And God says, boy, is your heart cold. Your, your heart's like a stone. God says, soften your heart. I've called you to this, to live in my kingdom. When we see a need, our brother's in need, we meet that need. James chapter 2, verse 14, starting at verse 14, in James chapter 2, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save, save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, 
And if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing to, about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James throws that out there. If you see a brother or sister in need and, and you say, well, I'll pray for you. Prayer for them is great. But what do you have in your hand? And our faith is accompanied by deeds. And in no way do, do I stand here today saying that our salvation is carried out and, and gained through anything that we do. But I know that our salvation is reflected by what we do. And if we claim that we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and we're sitting on that first leg of the stool, then the second leg of the stool of ministering to others in the body of Christ and the third leg of the stool of reaching out with love to our neighbor all sit together. From a separation that's forthcoming and a standard that's fixed, it has ascending finality. All good things must come to an end. If your mindset today is let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, then have it. Have at it. Go enjoy it. Enjoy this life that God has given to us. He's given us a life more abundant beyond what we could ever imagine. If you even look at your own life and you say, hey, I'm a generous kind of guy, but I don't have any room for that religious type of stuff. Keep being generous, but you're still sitting on one leg of the stool. This parable isn't saying to be generous to others and heaven is ours. In no way is it saying that. All three legs screwed together into one stool stand together. And that's the way we need to live our lives. Jesus tells us in verse 46, in ascending finality, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Last time I looked eternal up in the dictionary, eternal means eternal, forever, for all time. Way beyond my comprehension, way beyond my understanding. Eternals forever. All sales final. No redos, no do-overs. You don't get a second life to try and do it better. There's no second chances. We have our life today. We have our life today where it's ascending that's final. Our name is either written in the Lamb's book of life and away with the righteous we go. And if it's not, any sh anything short and we head away to eternal punishment. It's by the grace of God that we're saved. Only by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God that we can live out our salvation in a community of believers. And it's by the grace of God that we, be, we can be kind and loving and giving to our neighbors, to our community. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this? First, make sure you're saved. Be sure of your salvation. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He died on the cross for you. Our heart will never change from a heart of stone to a heart of love for others without having Jesus Christ in our life. Be sure of your salvation. 
Two, find yourself using your spiritual gifts to serve others. To serve others in the family of God. And three, find yourself helping the least among us. God will always, always and continually drop people into our lives. Constantly drop people into our lives that need us. The big question comes down to, is my heart going to be moved with compassion and love for them? Or am I going to turn away and head a different direction? Make sure you're living your life with spiritual eyes wide open. Spiritual eyes wide open. That you see the opportunities that God's given you to provide for others. All of this is being on the right side of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when that day comes, I want to be a sheep. I want to be a sheep. I want God to look at me and say, there's one of my sheep. I want him to look at me and say, there's some wheat. I want to look, have him look at me and say, there's my servant. They're the decisions each of us have to make. Do I want to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do I want to faithfully minister for him in his church? Do I want to love my neighbor as myself? Where I see others, my eyes are open, and I see others, and I care for their needs. Let's all find ourselves doing that. Let's all find ourselves being on the right side. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for your love for us. I thank you for these three parables that we have in Matthew chapter 25. Three parables that stir us, challenge us. Open up our eyes to see what our personal responsibilities are. And again, it's only through your grace. I know it's only through your grace. You are the one who has called us to be your children. You are the one who has called us into your kingdom. Help us to be faithful citizens of the kingdom of God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. I ask that you give us provision in our lives, an abundance in our lives, that we realize very clear, Lord, how we are to be used by you. That we never find ourselves lacking of anything that doesn't hit our hand and flow out of our hand into somebody else's life. I know that's the true blessing that comes from you. When it hits our hand and flows out into somebody else's. I ask that you use us each and individually for that purpose. I ask that you use our church for that purpose. And I ask that you use the churches around this country and around this world for those purposes, Lord. Allow our light to shine that others may see you. May we never be found with a heart that is cold, heartless towards the needs of others. Give us a heart of compassion. Give us a heart of love. 
Heavenly Father, I ask you to be with us during this week of Thanksgiving. We're in our country, Lord. We celebrate this day. We celebrate this day remembering you and your giving to us. Lord, help us to open up our heart to others. Help us to take the time, even on Thursday, to, to be thankful to you for your gifts in our lives. Lord, creatively use us this week, especially during the day that we have set aside to say thank you to you. We ask you to continue to be with us and strengthen us. Your face shines upon us. And your peace is with us. And your glory shines all around us. And your Holy Spirit fills us over and over every day. Keep your hedge of protection, Lord, around us. Lord, I lift up this morning again those that are sick in our body, Lord. Those that are facing emergencies and illnesses and struggles even this morning, Lord. Be our healer. That our eyes stay fixed on you. And you are the one who heals us. Thank you for your mighty power that you continue to show in each of our lives. We ask this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God be with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Uh, for the ladies that are part of the sister-to-sister -sister gift exchange, there's a ton of stuff on that back table with some names on it. If the cake does not go today, I'm usually the last one out of the building, so it will go with me. Because um, it won't be any good next week anyway. So I do encourage you to visit the table if you're part of that sister-to-sister -sister gift exchange. Have a blessed week. God bless you.